Hey everyone, and welcome to the Darkcast. This is episode number 55, and I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. Just wanted to give you a heads up that uh, we are not doing our normal podcast this week. Uh, instead, before Thanksgiving, I was able to sit down with Ryan Vandenick, formerly of Silicon Knights, and we talked about the whole Unreal um, Silicon Knights dispute that happened and the ruling. Uh, that the courts decided on. Uh, so just wanted to let you know that we did that. Um, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. If you are not in the U.S., hope you had a great Thursday anyway. Uh, and if you would like to hear more kinds of stuff like this, check out darkstation.com. Uh, we have weekly podcasts. We do reviews, news, features, all kinds of fun stuff. Check that out. If you have any questions that you would like to send to the podcast, you can do that at podcast at darkstation.com. Also, you can follow DarkStation at DarkStation underscore com. And finally, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please give us a review. We would love to know what you think of the show. Uh, Let us hear your thoughts there. And uh, here's the show. Hope you guys have a good week. Bye. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley, and with me today is Jeremy Meyer, and we have a very special guest for you. We're doing an interview with Ryan Vandenick. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, Vandenick, yeah. Yay, I usually get uh, different names (laughs) wrong on the first try, so kudos to me. And you are the founder of Eden Industries, is that correct? That's right. All right, cool. All right, so, but the the main reason that you're on today is you are a former employee of Silicon Knights. Yes. Um, all right, so uh, just to kind of go ahead and get things rolling, uh, how long were you there? Yeah, I was there for a year and a half from uh, the start right, right at the very beginning of 2008 until about, yeah, like June, July 2009. Okay. All right. Um, and were you anywhere before that, or was that kind of like your first gig? In yeah, I was. Games? I was at um, Next Level Games in Vancouver, working on um, like Mario Strikers for the Wii. That kind okay. Of stuff. Yeah. Good deal. So that's that's a very different environment than going from Mario games to uh, what were you working on at the time? X Men yeah. Destiny. <laughs> um, um, first wasn't X Men. First, um, you may have seen uh, if you read any of the, you know like the. Um, lawsuit kind of stuff that came out there's a couple mentions to this game called like the box or the ritualist mm-hmm. yeah um so i was on that for a year the first okay. year i was working on that and then uh the last six months was on x-men destiny okay uh so you didn't actually uh get to see x-men through because that came out 2011 <laughs> yeah thankfully no <laughs> <laughs> um and so what what were you doing at silicon nice like what was your job title yeah, I was a designer there, game designer. Okay. Um, which was yeah a bit different again from Next Level, where I was a gameplay programmer. So I kind of got the whole other side of the story there. Okay, so um, just for you know people that don't know a ton about um, the craft and art behind video games, what what exactly did you do as a programmer and then designer? Like, what kind of stuff were you doing in right. games? So uh, as a programmer, basically, you know, implementing, um, you know. Features like stuff that you're actually like playing, and you know, like you know, a Mario Strikers. You know, I did a bunch of, 
you know, menus and we do special abilities for the characters, you know, when they do things like, you know, the implementation of how exactly that all looks and feels like that would be me. Okay. Um, whereas on design, it'd be more like coming up with like the ideas, like, you know, this is how I think, you know, like combat should work. And, you know, I think if it works like this, you know, we could balance these enemies and it's much more of like the, the theory and the design of how it should all function. And you mm -hmm. kind of hand that off to the programmers to actually implement it into the game. Okay. Um, and so now at uh, Eden, what what kind of stuff do you do? Is it? I know it's it's not a, a huge company, but is it mm -hmm. mostly you, or how how many people it, do you have there with you? It's mostly me. Yeah, basically I handle yeah, most of actually both of those things. Like I do the design, kind of come up with the ideas, and then program them myself. Okay. Um, and then yeah, I have like a bit of support from guys like yeah, doing a bit of bit of programming and level design and some of that other stuff too. So. Okay, and um, so you said that you left in 2009 from Silicon Knights. Why did you um, leave at that point? Yeah, you know, there's quite a lot of reasons. I mean, um, <laughs> as I said, I was working on the box of the Ritualist, and, you know, that went on for a year, and it kind of, like, it was really stalling, and there was just a lot of kind of poor high-level direction and, you know, really fundamental problems that, I think actually from the day I got there until the end of that year, I think the project actually went backwards in terms of like total progress, Ooh. which is pretty disheartening. So then, you know, I was on yeah. X-Men and again, it was the same kind of things, you know, like months would go by without, you know, really any progress. There's always, you know, fights among the departments about, you know, what to do. And it's just, you know, so many high level, you know, direction and leadership problems that it made really getting anything done just almost impossible. And it just looked very bleak and, to jump ship save yourself while you can exactly yeah <laughs> um well uh at the for the people that didn't hear me before we started recording i have a little bit of a sore throat so jeremy why don't you take uh the next couple of questions um do you have a file of them up yeah i do okay fantastic um well you've already covered some of these already about when you left and why you left so um uh, when did you start eden industries uh, you uh, recently have your first game. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We just released our first game, Waveform, uh, on Steam in, in March. Uh, and actually, I started working on Waveform basically like the week after I left Silicon Knights. <laughs> so that was like, again, July 2009. Um, and, was, you know, that was mainly just kind of messing around a little bit. And then I think officially I created Eden Industries like uh, March 2010. And so it was a bit of a long road, actually, in terms of actual development. I mean, I was working... Full time. I went back to Next Level Games while I was doing Eden Industries, like working on Waveform. So I was kind of juggling those two, that stretch of two or three years. So. So you said you started a week after. Did you already have the idea while you were at Silicon Knights? No, I kind of just like I left and I kind of just you know wanted to get into a new kind of headspace and like one of the things I wanted to. Or actually, that's another reason actually why I left was I really wanted to make kind of games on the side and they wouldn't let me at Silicon Knights. Um, but next level games would let me do that. So once, you know, I was able to do that, I kind of said, okay, well, now that I'm, I have permission, what should I work on? I kind of just started thinking and just had an idea, waveform, and it just, I don't know, it took me like an evening or two to kind of come up with the original prototype, and then it just kind of went really fast. That's cool. Um, so do, do you have any other, other Silicon Knights employees that are working with you, like anyone else who left? Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, the one, um, Robin Vincent, he worked with me, actually at Silicon Knights and then actually followed me to next level for a little while. And he helped me on waveform and is helping out uh, with some of the design on our new game on RPG. 
And uh, we even have another sort of side project that he and I might um, kind of do if we can find the time. So, um, And then uh, another guy, Andrew, he um, also works in the Silicon Knights, and he's sort of come on board now to help out with the RPG as well. So there's about three of us now that used to work there, yeah. Uh, do you know how many employees you have there total? Um, I mean, it, it varies a bit. So, you know, a lot of the guys uh, are, like, kind of part-time. Like, they work a lot of full-time jobs. So, I mean, it's like, you know, five or six, I'd say. So you're definitely working with a smaller team versus working with the bigger team at Silicon Knights. Um, well, what now, is a bit... now it's the same size team as Silicon Knights. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, yeah. <laughs> That's true. But at the time... It was a much yeah. bigger team. So what is it like working on a smaller team versus working on, like, a bigger one? Yeah, I think, you know, the main difference, um, which is sort of what I was alluding to, one of the problems at Silicon Knights was that, you know, it was really hard to kind of, like, you know, do any change or implement anything that I felt strongly about. You know, I have to always, you know, go through meetings and leads in this department and that department. It just, you know, was really hard. Um, but now, you know, because I'm doing, like, the design and the programming and basically... You know, I'm the one sort of responsible for, you know, if the game's fun or not. Like, if I have an idea, I just do it. And I just put it in. And if it's fun, I keep it. And if I need to change it, I change it. And I work on it. And I, you know, it's sort of all up to me. And so, I mean, it's a lot of responsibility, but it's also a lot of um, really, you know, fun, creative, you know, kind of work. And uh, that's certainly one of, the, one of the big things, is being able to influence, you know, that sort of process, that creative process, and really see and shape the final, final outcome. So... Um, that's certainly different, but then, you know, on the other, other hand, um, at Silicon Knights, I was sort of responsible for, like, one piece, you know, and now I, I have to do so many things, you know, I do, like I said, design, uh, programming, I, you know, I'm doing QA, you know, I, I made, you know, like, the website, I'm, I'm writing emails, I'm, you know, like, you know, interacting with, you know, people with problems on forums and, you know, doing interviews, right, like, so it's just a lot, a lot more, wearing a lot more hats, so. Right. Um, one quick thing, just kind of you talking about that made me think of, um, you know, the the ideal of not being able to implement the ideas that you would like to, not being able to kind of steer the ship in the direction that you may want it to go. Um, you know, you look at a lot of big games that are coming out, especially right now. You've got, you know, Assassin's Creed's and um, Halo and Hitman came out the, the day of this recording, which I'm stoked to start playing um, and hopefully just a little while. Um, but with those kind of games, you know, you, you can't make that big of a intricate game uh, with a one or couple man uh, team. Like, it requires so many people. I mean, you look at the team behind Assassin's Creed. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, when you have that big of a team, you know, it's, it's the, the ship analogy. You know, the bigger the ship, the more powerful it is. But the bigger the ship, the harder it is to steer. Sure. Um, so how do you kind of see games going forward um, where, you know, the tools are, are not necessarily getting easier but more readily available? You know, there's more training out there now uh, mm -hmm. for people to be able to start these smaller teams. Do you see kind of the landscape of gaming changing a little bit to, to accommodate more and support more um, smaller developers like yourself as opposed to the, the big-name players? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I see it changing a bit, but, you know, not to the point where, you know, the mainstream industry is going to collapse or anything like that. Like, I think mm -hmm. there's always going to be a demand for Assassin's Creed and Hitman and Call of Duty. Like, people are always going to want to play those, right? But, right. Um, you know, certainly in the last, you know, couple of years, and I think it'll continue into the future, there's going to be 
you know, increasing, you know, um, opportunity for smaller teams and increasing, mm -hmm. you know, visibility of, you know, what, what they're able to produce. And I think, yeah, just uh, increasing um, ability for them to make it on their own, which, you know, didn't exist, you know, five, 10 years ago, for sure. So. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of piggybacking on one of the thoughts uh, Jonathan brought up, uh, talking about, you know, having the smaller teams and bigger teams, it kind of sounds like communication might have been an issue among Silicon Knights. Just that you were saying earlier that nobody seemed to kind of realize what everyone else was doing. Yeah, yeah, that was certainly a problem. Like, you know, there are the all the different departments, right? You had programming and design and art and audio. You know, they were all very separate from each other and uh, you know it's kind of funny like you know everyone had their own cubicles which you know is how a lot of offices work and that's fine but i remember um there was one guy that he was an artist on the on the project on the box and i even played soccer with him like after work at a little soccer league and i didn't know for like eight months that i was on the same project as him just because, <laughs> like I, well, I just we never had an opportunity to like interact in you know in our day-to-day -day work on that project just because of how separate the departments all were. So, yeah, I'd say communication was a big, big problem. See, that's so fascinating to me, because I've heard enough GDC talks and things like that to know that some of the you know more successful companies are have a lot of communication as, like, the forefront of what they want to do. Like, they, have, they set mm -hmm. up a bunch of meetings all the time. It just seems like an odd thing to let it slip. Well, it's funny. You know, you get the other problem. Like, at Silicon Knights, there was no shortage of meetings, right? But, I mean... You know, you're not necessarily always planning them intelligently, right? Like we'd often have, you know, 12 guys in a room, you know, BSing for a whole day. But <laughs> is that really communication or is it just, you know, having an excuse to get everyone together because you think that's the solution to the problem? <laughs> yeah, it, it takes really, I think, careful planning to organize teams that are, you know, that size. Yeah, so um, speaking of the team, uh, Dennis Dyack, so the head of the team, um, yeah. it's kind of a big personality out there. He's kind of like the Cliff Blazinski's or Peter, Mo Peter Molyneux. Like, people yeah. know who he is. So what mm -hmm. is it like working with someone who is just such a high-profile person in the industry? Yeah, you know, it, it's a good question because it is, it is very different. Like, I think, you know, with the exception of, um, you know, meeting, like, Miyamoto when I was at Next Level, Dennis would be the only person that I had you know, read about and kind of like followed a bit before actually working with him. Um, so it was, it was kind of weird, like seeing him, you know, at work and like, you know, talking with him just because of like, like not only how big his personality is normally, but also like just the kind of like idea that I had formed in him and maybe other people forming them just by, you know, reading the stuff, you know, in the, from the interviews and, and those things, you know. Um, so that was one thing that was kind of just a bit, a bit weird, like, you know, day to day. But um you know, in general, he has a very big personality. You know, he uh, has a lot of very, you know, strong opinions. And I think, you know, like anyone's personality, there's pros and cons, right? Like, you know, it's it's hard sometimes to convince him that his ideas might not be the best because he has that really strong opinionated, you know, drive. But at the same time, you know, he, he fights really hard for what he thinks is in the company's best interests. And I mean, obviously with the lawsuit, I guess that didn't really pan out exactly as he was hoping. But you know, I just mean to say, you know, there are pros and cons. He has a, he's got a big personality, and he wields it, for sure. Yeah, and just hearing some of his talks, I can say, you know, I don't completely disagree with all of his ideas. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of his approaches, but... Right, absolutely. 
Yeah, I, I remember actually um, back when Two Human was um, being talked about as actually going to come out instead of being uh, just kind of vaporware. Um, when it was, you know, video was coming out for it for the 360 and stuff, and he was talking about the camera and how it was going to be dynamic. And he he was one of those, he's one of those guys, kind of like Peter Molyneux, that I want to believe what he says, but at the same time, in the back of my head, I know that he's full of BS. Um, and so he's talking about the camera, like, like, nobody likes controlling the camera, so, you know, what we did is try to make the game much more dynamic and cinematic and all this different stuff. Uh, and I remember actually getting my hands on the game, and every five minutes, all I could think was, this would be so much better if I could just have control of the camera. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I can definitely see how, you know, it, he's he's absolutely passionate about, you know, yes. what he believes, and can obviously kind of stir that kind of passion in other people, otherwise he never would have made, you know, all mm -hmm. the games that he has thus far. Um, but I, I imagine having that kind of passion is very difficult, not just from the, you know, the, the giant ship steering aspect, but, you know, when you're the captain of the ship is like twice the size of you as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it's like, you know, I mean, he's certainly, yeah, that is, I mean, he's got a lot of passion and then, you know, sometimes he just latches onto ideas that maybe just won't work and because you know he's not the one actually implementing it he may not understand like really the nitty-gritty of like well it's not working and this is why and this is why we think it'd be a bit better he just sees it as well it's not working and i really want it to work so keep trying <laughs> and it's like just set you know, in his ways yeah and, uh judging by like you know his um the infamous neogaf forum thing mm -hmm. uh he's a very intense guy uh is is he a very intense guy <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> yes he is very intense um definitely the most intense person i've ever worked with um you know it, it's funny he's got a lot is he's got a lot of passion and he would often share his ideas very loudly and passionately in the office um yes <laughs> 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 I, I i commend anyone in the gaming industry to step out the way he did but it may have not have been the best idea but... yeah you know what i mean dennis may not you know obviously i think looking back now we can all agree he may not have made all the best choices in the world but you know what i i do respect a lot of what he has done and a lot of what you know he's tried to accomplish but mm -hmm. obviously yeah it just didn't quite pan out so yeah, I, I did recently listen to the podcast where he talked about the whole NeoGAF thing, and mm -hmm. that, that was quite the listen. <laughs> really educating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, probably not the way I would have handled it, but I mean, his his, his company, right? His game, so. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, so, so what was the company culture like? I mean, you know, there's a lot of rumors about Dennis and obviously there's the whole NeoGAF thing that we just talked about and like mm -hmm. is he just really that intense in the office all the time? Uh no, um it's kind of funny, you know, like sometimes he'd be kind of absent for a while. Like you know, a week or two would go by, you wouldn't like really get much out of him. And then like suddenly he'd like burst into a meeting with, you know, grand ideas and grand designs and then we'd, you know, have to try to, you know, 
instantly turn this big ship, right? Like to accommodate his whim. So it was, yeah, kind of like these periods of really ups and downs, I guess, right? Like of like high turbulence when he really, you know, kind of turned his like, you know, Sauron gaze on the project. And then when he kind of looked away for a bit, it was a, a bit, a bit more calm. And, um, but that, that was, you know, kind of how it went interacting with Dennis. But, you know, in, in general, um, you know, the company culture, I think was, it was just really proud, I think, you know, and like kind of proud, mainly in a bad way. Like, you know, I think proud in, in the sense that sometimes, you know, they were very confident, but also I think, I think they put a little bit too much stock into their success with um, Eternal Darkness and the Metal Gear Solid port they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which I you thought know, was a great port. It was a great port. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, they had a lot of help from Nintendo and Konami in making those. And I think they kind of got a little bit, you know, too big for their britches, you know, like they thought, well, we did so well with Nintendo. I bet we can do even better on our own without them holding us back. And I think, you know, that kind of, I guess, you know, pride when maybe they weren't quite ready for that level of responsibility, I guess, or that even maybe that level of, of, you know, team size. I mean, obviously it grew pretty fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I think caused a lot of problems. Like I said, you know, like the, you know, bad communication among the departments, like it was always, you know, fighting to try to get anything. And I think just everyone was just entrenched in what they wanted, what they believed. And it was, yeah, very immovable kind of culture. So I, I remember hearing a talk from the guys at Naughty Dog talking about that um, it was like every week or every month or something, they'd have a day where they would just get everyone in a room and each department would go through and talk about what they had been doing in that time since the last meeting. Do you think something like that could have really turned things around over there? Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. We, we did have those. You know, at Silicon Knights, we had, um, we had like, Dennis had built a theater into one of the floors, you know, like a real like, it was it was a theater, right? The chairs, the screens, the whole thing, right? So we would get uh, every once in a while we would have like yeah, kind of a team meeting in the in the theater with the project, and all the departments would come and talk about it. But you know, it was kind of funny because due to like some of the conflicting, you know, design and direction from the different departments, and it was it was kind of like almost a big joke because you know you'd be running around the world and you know like. You know, textures would you know, would flicker out of existence and stuff would crash and you know Dennis would get all <laughs> get all angry like why is this crashing like we're supposed to have this fixed right and uh, so it almost became like a bit of a running joke to go to these because it was just almost like a, a carnival of mistakes and mess ups right like it's a big blooper reel of the game is what it was right and um, you know in general because of you know kind of the lack of overall you know you know kind of unity of the departments. There was never a strong resolution to anything that came out of there. Because, you know, of course, to really push the game forward, you need to have, like, a united vision amongst all the departments. So just coming together, noticing the problems, and everyone goes off and does who knows what for another month. I mean, it didn't, didn't quite, yeah, nothing really ever came out of those meetings that I found very productive. All right, so, um, I mean, recently in the news and kind of the reason why this is a big topic right now is the whole lawsuit with Epic has finally come to a conclusion. Yeah. Um, So how much did the Epic lawsuit affect the day-to-day work while it was going on? Yeah. Uh, Well, my favorite example is that we weren't allowed to use the word Epic in the company. Like, (laughs) (laughs) in any, like, uh, you know, if I was writing, like, a design document, right, like, describing a feature of the game or, like, you know, some moment, you know, you could not describe it as Epic. Because I guess, like, you know, 
we had to give over all like company materials to their lawyers every once in a while. And I guess, I don't know, the higher ups at Silicon Knights thought that they were just doing like a find in files to find the word epic just to see like what we were talking about. I guess, I don't know. But uh, so that, that, I don't know, that was sort of like the, I don't know, most humorous example of how it affected it. But, you know, in general, like it, it was a, a, a problem. And to be honest, I think it was a problem to the point that it may have been one of like the big things that affected the company um, and kind of began bringing it downward because, you know, you had a lot of people involved in a pretty big problem. Um, you know, obviously, if you read the lawsuits, there was a bit of a, you know, contentious issue regarding, you know, the technology that may or may not have been used in Silicon Knights. And, you know, what the programmers were doing and whether they infringed on the, you know, copyright of Unreal. And so, you know, a lot of the technical staff of Silicon Knights was, you know, in my opinion, kind of waylaid by this, you know, really this battle. And, you know, what they had, what they could and could not do in light of that and how they were going to, you know, you know figure out and, like, implement the whole infrastructure of the game engine you know, I guess trying, I don't know, not to infringe on that or, you know, it was just, a, it was a big thing. And I think a lot of the company's time and money was sort of siphoned away to, to deal with that. And I mean, just in general, I think it kind of weighed on the morale of the employees too, because I think we, you know, we all kind of felt like <laughs> Silicon Knights was probably going to lose. And so, you know, when you're kind of, you know, you kind of see the writing on the wall, like, you know, you're on the losing side of what is looking to be like a pretty big issue. Um, you know, it just it doesn't get you too confident about the future of the company. Right. Um, can you go into a little bit about what the lawsuit was for those that haven't been up on the news, don't understand what mm -hmm. the, the big deal was? <laughs> right. I mean, okay. So, I mean, as far as I understand, which probably is not 100% perfect, but yeah, basically when they showed off to human at the first E3 they did, whatever that was, 2007 maybe, um, the game did not show very well. Um, people no. really yeah. criticized it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm going to again kind of point out to the, the pride kind of of the company. Uh, so Dennis wanted to blame someone else, and his target was Epic and Unreal Engine as being not ready and, you know, and the support that Epic gave them um, was, you know, not sufficient for them, to, you know, to make the game. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of started the ball rolling with Dennis trying to find someone to blame. And I guess Epic just being a scapegoat. And what eventually kind of happened. So that was Silicon Knights sort of lawsuit was, you know, that Epic's um, contribution and, you know, contractual obligation of their engine, they did not live up to. Uh, but then, of course, Epic countersued and said that actually Silicon Knights um, uh, infringed upon the, you know, intellectual property of their engine into human after, you know, nullifying the contract and, and the whole thing. So that you know, was sort of, from my understanding, the, the basis of the two sides kind of argument. Right. And then also for anyone that doesn't know, the uh, courts ruled in favor of Epic. And if I'm not mistaken, Silicon Knights has to, do they have to acquire all the copies of games that used Unreal Engine and destroy them or just destroy the ones that are left? Um, as far as I understand, just, just destroy the ones that are left. Okay. Um, um, but also, um, if I didn't uh, misread the ruling, I believe they also have to destroy, destroy 
all of the source code that went into making those games, mm. which is a pretty big deal too. If you think about you know all the tech they built up yeah. over yeah That's... six years is gone. I also read that Epic gets like there's like certain times where Epic is just allowed to look at all of their computer files and everything just to like make sure nothing's being hidden away and stuff like well, that. Well, that was certainly already going on during the lawsuit. Was that that was part of the um, the lawsuit? Yeah, the Epic's lawyers were able to access. Not only the you know servers of Siliconites, but also of course the uh, like history of every everything that had been like if you're familiar with how like um, any source control server works, like it tracks all the revisions of any file. Mm -hmm. So they had access not only to like what was on the computer at any given time, but they could also see the history of everything that had ever been like sort of worked on at the company. Right. Yeah. I personally I, I find it kind of a, a tragedy. I mean, uh, I was I was not a fan of what two human um, came out and was, um, but I, I'm a big fan of preserving like everything, uh, especially mm -hmm. in terms of, yeah. of video games. It's something that I don't think that the industry has quite learned yet. We're we're starting to preserve stuff, and even if it wasn't, you know, a great game, it to me it seems um, kind of a travesty to delete the the source code of this game, even if yeah. you know. It, like I said, even if it wasn't great, that to kind of make it as if it didn't exist um, mm -hmm. is is kind of sad, especially with I mean, even uh, if things were misguided or whatnot, you know, a lot of people put a lot of work, a lot of sweat, and a lot of probably tears um, yeah. <laughs> into that game, and to just wipe it away um, like it didn't exist is 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 really sad. Like yeah, I think it would have absolutely. been better if it just got handed over to Epic or something. Like yeah, the information. I mean, it was theirs, you know, their engine and everything to begin with. Mm -hmm. If they had just ruled to hand it over, and then they could do what they want with it. Yeah, I, I, it's tough, right? I mean, obviously, I can see Epic's side of it too. I mean, they feel kind of, you know, cheated. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure Microsoft, the publisher, feels a bit cheated too, because now, oh, yeah, right, then this game they put out has to be destroyed. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I would imagine, I mean, one of the things, this is getting way off topic, but one of the things people are, are kind of been, or have been criticizing Microsoft lately of is not having a ton of um, first-party lineup titles. You know, they, mm. they've got the Halo, and they've got Gears of War, and they've got Fable, and Forza, and that's like it. Like um, Alan Wake, that's about um, the only other one I can think of. Yeah, but I mean, Alan Wake's, I, I don't know, that... The, it's not like the, Gangbusters or anything, so... Yeah, and the last one came out what, two years ago or, or whatever. You know, it's like this this fall we've had a Fable offshoot, we've had a Forza offshoot, and a Halo. And that's, you know, it's nowhere to the degree of what um, Sony and Nintendo continually put out with their franchises. But I, I think it's important to kind of look at look back at this generation. It's like Microsoft has tried, and they've had games like Too Human that have not panned out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, who's going to blame them for not <laughs> trying new things? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, Two Human and X-Men Destiny both seemed like great ideas that just didn't pan out. And I mean, there are good games and there are bad games. And obviously nobody sets out to make a bad game. And, you know, I, I feel for the people who get stuck in those situations. But, um... Like knowing that X Men Destiny and Two Human didn't really do well, um, was there, like what was it like with the in the, in the team after some of those games came out? You know, I mean, yeah, it, it was 
like I wasn't there for when X Men Destiny came out. I think you know just in talking to some people that still were there, I think it was at that point almost like a kind of a depressed resignation. Like they kind of I think everyone kind of <laughs> knew it was coming on that one. Um, it had just been such a just a brutal battle to get the game done. I mean, you know, if you look at, I'm sure, you know, I think mean, a number of sites, you know, done reports on kind of what happened with that game. But I think it was like, you know, the game went through four design directors and like, I think half the team was like, you know, a turnover and like, it was just such a brutal road that I think when that game came out, you know, people were just happy to get, get it done and the score didn't really <laughs> surprise them. Um, I think Too Human was a bit more of a surprise. Um, just because, you know, I think that one, like, was much more Dennis's, like, his baby, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, he had worked on it for who knows oh, yeah. how many years. And Yeah, um, I mean, it, it was first yeah. announced back for the original PlayStation. That's right. And yeah, the was, trilogy. Yeah, yeah, it was it was, it was was announced in the era of the, the first Legacy of Kane game. Yes, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I can only imagine how devastating that would be, like, if I was trying to create this science fiction epic and released it to this world after, you know, a decade plus of mm-hmm. um, incubation, and it just fails. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, X-Men Destiny, um, like, that was a game when I first found out about it. Just, like, I found it in, like, the way back pages of IGN before I'd even heard about it being announced. And, like, it was just, like, a simple description of X-Men game where you get to create an X-Men and, you know good or bad morality and like i thought it was a great sounding idea and i couldn't wait to play it and yeah you know then i heard saw the reviews when it came out and i'm like oh i've there's plenty of bad games i have liked and find this average at best but like i just i got like 17 percent of the trophies which is maybe 20 minutes into that game and then <laughs> shut it off yeah you know i i think i agree i think the idea for the game is fantastic <laughs> um and i think you know that's why i guess why it was so hard, I think, for a lot of people to, you know, work on it after some number of months, just seeing what was going on, like, you know, just the, the bad direction and, like, the, almost, yeah, like, the, the spoiling of this really good idea, actually. Um, and it just became, yeah, kind of a, yeah, really discouraging to see, like, what, what we all envisioned it being, which is, you know, something, you know, pretty awesome, and just how it was progressing just really did not match. So were you still there when the development of X-Men, X-Men Destiny was going on? Uh, yeah, I worked on it for, for six months. Like, um, pretty near, like, almost at the beginning of the project. Um, but, I mean, obviously the game was probably developed for, like, two years. So, I mean, I guess I only was there for, like, maybe the first quarter. Yeah. So, well, now you have your new uh, studio and your yeah. new game. And uh, what has the reaction been like for the, your first title, Waveform? Which By the I, way, I which say... we gave a eight out of ten. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, th- I think uh, I even have your guys' review on the Steam page, I believe. Really? Because it, it was uh, a really good review. And actually, yeah, I mean, actually, you know, eight out of ten, I think, is pretty fair. Because right now it's sitting at I think eighty-one on Metacritic. So I mean, that sounds like you pretty much hit the consensus on that. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really happy with that. Um, you know, certainly it feels a lot better than. You know, all the, the games I was working on at Silicon Knights, uh, I mean, obviously were kind of underperformed, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled with the way waveforms were received um, critically, and you know, people seem to have a lot of fun with it, so yeah, I, uh, I think it's been great. 
Yeah, well, I, well, I'll have to say, I, I my computer is currently not running, and once I get it back up and get <laughs> Steam going again, I really, really look forward to playing it. I was looking up on it, and it sounds really cool. Oh, right on, thanks. Yeah, I actually I downloaded the uh, the demo last night, and I I was actually gonna to buy it, but I had to go to sleep because I was okay I was dead. <laughs> um, and uh, but and and just playing the demo, I was like, wow, this is a puzzle game essentially made from the. Um, uh, hacking system from the latter Splinter Cell games. I don't know if you played those, but I it, was, no. <laughs> it was basically you're you're lining up waves, uh, making mm. them uh, taller and, and wider to to fit. Yeah. And that that's just you know it's like a couple of seconds and it lines up and you unlock a, a safe or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but this you know scoring multipliers and all that kind of stuff. And it, it it actually brought back a weird nostalgia of Splinter Cell for me. Oh, and okay. I was like I. I have to buy anything that gives me nostalgia. Yeah. Splinter Cell. Uh, you know, uh, actually, the game after the game came out, uh, one of the programmers on one of the versions of Splinter Cell, I think it was one of the PSP ones, actually emailed me and said, "Hey, like this is just like the wave thing in our game." And I like I had no idea. Actually, I never <laughs> never played it, and uh, I've so actually that was pretty I've, funny. So I've played Splinter Cell, and I don't remember those. That's pretty. It, it may have been the um, the Xbox version of Double mm-hmm. Agent. Yeah. Um, which was not played by very many people, but I would yeah, hold okay. in high regard. Uh, yeah. But anyway, this isn't the Splinter Cell podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, we'll do one of those one day, Jonathan. We will do one of those one day. Um, so uh, not to try to pry too much information out of you, but you said that you were working on your next game, which is a, an RPG. That's quite a, a divergent from a, uh, a wave-based Yes. Game. <laughs> yes. Uh, very, very much so. Uh, can you give us any kind of information on that? Maybe? Um, I, I, I'll give you a little bit. I mean, you know, sure. just in terms of like, especially why I wanted to do an RPG. You know, like um, RPG is actually my favorite genre of game. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, I don't know quite how I stumbled into making waveform. I just you know prototyped a wave game and it was fun and I just kind of went with it. Um, <laughs> but you know, I always kind of wanted to an RPG and. Um, you know, now that I had like a lot of the tech I reused from Waveform and kind of just, you know, got to know a bunch of, you know, more people that can collaborate, it felt like the right time. So I um, just, uh, yeah, started doing that. Um, details, I don't have a ton of details I can share right now. We're hoping to do a bigger reveal, like um, maybe late January, early February. So, okay. probably, you know, let you know more then. But yeah, you know, it's um, what we're planning on doing is having something, kind of a mantra that... Um, we've been going with is to make the game broad instead of long. Like I know a lot of people, I think RPG, it's like, you know, 70 hour epic. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people mm-hmm. are like, you know what? I just, I just can't do that. You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't um, know I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people. Absolutely. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so what we're planning on doing is making it, you know, um, really emphasize, you know, and almost kind of the indie spirit where it's like, you know what you put in, you know, 10 hours into this game and you're going to get, you know, like the, the highlights, the, the highlight reel, like the wham, bam, features of you know what you can get and then beyond that we're hoping to have a really broad experience for anyone who really wants to dive deep and get hmm. all the you know the the meat and potatoes out of the rpg so we're hoping in that way to appeal to people who you know um like rpgs who like you know you know be able to you know dive deep and really you know consume a lot of content but also those who want like a really neat fun um experience that doesn't take their whole life to get through so um, if you can explain one thing, I mean, RPG sure. is a very uh, broad term. I mean, it could be yes. Final Fantasy, either 3D or 2D. It could be Diablo. It could be Mass Effect. 
Um, is there a more Western or J um, kind of uh, style that you're going with mm-hmm. real time? Or... Yeah, it's uh, definitely more of a J style. Okay. Um, you know, I love, you know, like the old Super Nintendo RPGs, right? Like Earthbound yeah. and, you know, Chrono Trigger and, um, you know, Final Fantasy VI. Like those, you know, games like mm-hmm. that, I just, just love them to death. So certainly inspired by a lot of that, you okay. know, kind of uh, retro idea, but with, you know, a lot of the modern bells and whistles, which is something we like to combine at Eden Industries. So. Mm-hmm. You're really winning me over right now. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm glad. All right. <laughs> I'll be sure to let you know when we have uh, our big reveal then. Uh, I'm excited. It sounds interesting, you know. I, I love RPG games, and yeah. talking about, you know, Jay and Retro and stuff, you're just, you're hitting all the marks that I like to hear. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, well, now having been at um, Eden for uh, quite a while, being its founder, do you see yourself ever going back to a a larger studio? You know, that is a very, very difficult question. <laughs> and uh, the reason is, like, I mean, I love making games on my own. And I mean, it's the reason I started Eden Industries. It's the reason I made Waveform. I mean, it's like I said, it's one of the reasons I left Silicon Knights because I wanted that freedom to make my own games. Um, it is a lot of work. <laughs> and, um, it is, you know, to be honest, it's like really stressful. I mean, you know, if I go to my day job, you know, they just say, hey, we need you to program this feature. And I just da, 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 program it in. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm not really responsible for the overall picture of the game. You know, I'm not responsible necessarily for making sure, you know, every part of it is bug-free and that, you know, it appeals to a wide audience, right? Like, and so it's all those things that add up that make a mainstream job a lot less stressful. Plus, you know, you get a regular paycheck and, you know, there's a lot of pros and cons. So I, in answer to the question, I'd really like to say, no, I'm going to stay independent forever. And I'm sure that is true to an extent. Like, I doubt I'll ever stop making independent games, but mm-hmm. would I go back? you know, for a time to work on something, you know, really cool, like maybe, you know, next level games, you know, I was working on Luigi's Mansion there, which was just an awesome project. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love, you know, working with Nintendo, you know, if they had, you know, some crazy, like they're making, I don't know, I'm going to go crazy here, making like the next Zelda, like would I go back and, you know, implement like some Zelda bosses, like I, that's, that's a hard thing to pass up. And if I can, you know, make, make my indie RPG on the side, I mean, you know, aside from, you know, having to juggle those, that's not a bad position to be in, so. Right. Well, have you ever considered, like, if your studio got, would you ever add to it and maybe get bigger if you start getting, like, more ideas and more people willing to contribute? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, one of the things I like to do is really um, leverage the ideas of anyone I'm working with. You know, that's why I mentioned, like, Robin, who helped me with the level design waveform. You know, he's got an idea, and I've got a bunch of tech, and I'd really love to be able to, you know, leverage the tech I have to kind of um, put him in the situation where he could just go nuts and like really bring his designs to life and and you know help him shape that game and that's something I'm really passionate about and sort of fostering that empowerment in the indie community and so I would absolutely love you know if you know people came up to me and said you know they had you know I don't know if they like you know really good ideas and they had passion and they wanted you know to work with me and you know like do some art on the on the, you know my RPG and in the meantime like maybe get me to help them you know, program some, you know, crazy game they had, like, I would so be into that. And I just love, you know, kind of encouraging that and like, yeah, just fostering development and the, you know, really good ideas of other people. So absolutely. So Eden Industries fulfilling people's dreams? That's the goal. <laughs> that is the goal. Whether you're playing games or making games, we are fulfilling uh, your dreams. Nice. 
Um, well, uh, do you guys have any final thoughts? Uh, it's uh, been really nice talking with you. Yeah, no, it's been great. Thanks a lot. Actually, Thanks, uh, um, I, I had one question. I wanted to make sure neither sure. of you had any uh, more questions before. Um, what kind of stuff have you been uh, playing lately? I know one of the curses of both being writing in the games industry and making games uh, is that you don't get to play at near as much as you would like to. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't know if there was anything that had caught your eye or if there's anything that um, particularly has inspired you. I mean, obviously you talked mm -hmm. about um, you know, having nostalgia for JRPGs, um, especially the, yeah. the older ones and such. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't know if there was anything uh, more current that's kind you of... You know, actually, um, one game that I will say that actually has been a really good source of inspiration is um, Xenoblade that came out on the Wii. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have played that, but... Um... A really awesome RPG, and you know they did some really cool stuff, um, and I've just been having a blast. I mean, it came out like you know I think in the summer, so it's not quite like super new, but just having a blast with it, and it's been a really cool experience, you know, to like see, you know what they've done and learn from, um, you know, a more modern. I mean, it's a you know it's a modern JRPG, and I think they do a lot of really unique stuff while sticking to some really fundamental stuff that makes the JRPG branding very strong. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm loving that. But as you say, yeah, I don't have a lot of time. So generally, <laughs> I'm playing games like that uh, are yeah kind of old. Like I mean, that's probably even newer than most of the games. Like yeah, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure you guys have it too. You know, something on Steam will come up. It's like Daily Deal. It's like your game was like three oh, years yeah. old, but it's like a dollar. It's like how could I not buy that? <laughs> like so, my Steam catalog Absolutely. is absolutely yeah, hundred games, I just, and I just pick pretty sure my Steam stuff. catalog jumped up like fifty games within a year one day because of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, it, it, it increases by like 20 games every time they do a big sale. So essentially twice a year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, all um, right. Well, it was great having you on, Ryan. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, we look forward to the announcement of this uh, JRPG. And um, I'm actually going to go as soon as we get off here, uh, finish, uh, go off and buy uh, Waveform and play right, some of that some more. <laughs> so there, there will be links to that um, uh, as well as your website and Twitter account and all that kind of stuff. Um, if uh, listeners, I'm talking to you now. Um, if you want to follow follow Ryan on Twitter, you can do that at Eden Industries. Um, you can also find his website, uh, which is the same thing. Um, and you can learn more about Waveform. Uh, you can also read our review of Waveform on darkstation.com. Uh, in the notes, there will be a link to the Steam page as well as his Twitter and uh, website and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that will do it for today. Thank you again, Ryan. Cool, my pleasure. Thanks uh, for chatting with me. All right, and thank you, Jeremy, too. Thank you, and I just followed you right now. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea for any of the listeners. <laughs> <laughs>